following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. It's good to be back. Pretend like you noticed I was gone. Uh, We had the, the women's retreat And then the week after that, I had the blessing of being able to be with my grandma uh, up north in International Falls. You have to say it like that, north. Um, And and spending that time with her. And and so it's been a good couple of weeks. Pastor Bob has been uh, really connecting us to this concept of life after resurrection. We're still in that sermon theme looking at what it looks like to live after the resurrection, kind of answering the question, how then should we live? In light of the resurrection, how do we live? And I love the angle that he came at it from was really about how do we stay connected to that life? Where, how do we stay full of that life, which really is about staying connected to and staying full of the Holy Spirit, which we know we have access to that because of what happened at Pentecost, because of what we're celebrating today. We know that we always have access to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. What does it look like to stay full? Last week, he talked a little bit about this, um, this metaphor that's in Scripture about being drunk, which really just means to be full of in a way that actually changes your behavior, to be full of the Holy Spirit in a way that changes how you walk and act and and how you are. It means to be full of that instead of being full of something else. Have your pick, whatever that could be. But I think that that is, we want to, when we're looking at how should we live, we should live full of the Holy Spirit. We should live full of the resurrection life. And and I'm going to come back again to this Um, the text in Ephesians that I've been kind of going through when I've been preaching on this topic, because what we see is that when we are full of the Holy Spirit, this is how we walk. This is the result of that. We looked at this uh, Ephesians, how Paul is laying out in Ephesians 1 through 3, here's what Jesus accomplished. Here is what, what he did, what is made available to us, who you now are. You are now children of God. You are now heirs. You have now been brought near. You were dead, now you're alive. And so in Ephesians 1 through 3, he's letting everybody know this is who you are now. This is the status because of what Jesus did. This is your status. This is now who you are. And then we see in the the rest of Ephesians, and he says, because of that, this is how you walk. This is how you live. This is the result of that life flowing through you. And sometimes we can look at some of the instructions in any of the epistles, really, in any of the letters where Paul or Peter uh, is giving instructions about how we should live, and we look at it as a checklist of behavior modification, that these are the things I should be doing. And we begin to focus really hard on living in that way, and that's not ever how the foundation that they're building on when they talk about that. Always it's preceded with, this is who you are, so this is how you live. You walk this way. You have the empowerment to walk in this way. 
And so that's how we're looking at that. One of the ways that Paul put it in Ephesians was walk worthy of the calling. So because of chapters one through three, because you are heirs, because you were brought near, because you were dead and now you're alive, I think there's a couple others, but because of that, therefore, walk worthy of the calling. Let the weight of your living be equal, and that's why we have the scales. Let the weight of your living be equal to the weight of the calling. I love what, what uh, Pastor Bob mentioned about my faulty scale that doesn't actually function as a scale, but it's because it's a cross, because <laughs> it's set. It's already established that all of this belongs to us. We're not, we're not going, oh, I, I have to do more of this stuff so that I can, can, I, I can wait. The, you know what I'm saying? It's already established. In fact, there's probably a thousand blocks we could put on this side. That'd be a really long series. But there's thousands that, that would never move the scale, not just because it's welded this way, but because... The word says, it pleased God that in Jesus all fullness should dwell. And we are in Christ. So we want to continue to look at what that means for us because because I think it's powerful for us to look at it again and say, I have access to this because this has already been paid. This has already happened. Not, oh, I have to earn that. This is what I already have access to. So we talked about in the first couple of weeks that I, that I preached, I talked about because of what Jesus did, we can live in unity. Not, not just live in unity. It actually says preserve the unity, not create it. Yeah. I don't have to create the unity in the body of Christ. It was already created God already answered the prayer of Jesus that we would be one. I just am diligent to preserve it, to to walk in it, to remain in that place. We also talked about living as a new creation in chapter four. So it goes through unity. That's one of the things that was restored was was unity. Another thing was that we can live as a new creation. And what Paul was saying is, Gentiles don't walk like Gentiles anymore. In some ways, another place he says, you're thinking like mere humans. So he's kind of saying humans don't walk like mere humans anymore. You're a new creation, born of the Spirit. And so he's, he's saying that's part of walking worthy, that we would walk as a new creation. We looked in chapter four that it affects then how we walk and how we talk. When I live as a new creation, it affects what, what words come out of my mouth. <laughs> but that I have access to that. I have a new dialect already. I have a new language. I can choose to speak it freely because I am a new creation. Today, what I want to talk about is in chapter 5, it reminds us to walk in love. This is, again, something that was restored to us because of what Jesus did. So I'm just going to start there and read chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, Paul has a lot of therefores in Ephesians. You should go through. If I picture him like this big blackboard, and he's solving an equation. 
da 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 therefore, you know. And I'm not sure what that equation would look like. That's why I did scales instead. But he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Therefore, be imitators of God like dearly loved children. This is important that we recognize everything in these chapters hinges on, is founded on our revelation of being dearly loved children. That you already are. Nothing in any of this is saying, don't talk like this, do this, don't do this, so that you can be dearly loved children. We already are dearly loved children. And as dearly loved children, because he's already established in chapters one through three that we are, that we're heirs, that we have an inheritance, that we've been brought near, that we're dead to that, we're alive to this. As dearly loved children, walk in love. Be an imitator of the Father who loves you so much and who you have access to be able to imitate. It's a, it's a new take, really, on what Jesus said. I only, not a new take, it's the same take. I don't know why I said new, because new, everybody wants new stuff, that's why. It's the same as what Jesus said. I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus was an imitator of the Father, who was completely uh, secure in his identity as a son. We get to walk in that same way. We get to walk in that secure identity that knows that we're loved, that experience, that's what we were experiencing this morning. <laughs> did you experience that? I did. I'm still experiencing it. Just this washing over, how great is your love for me? People can get all weird about that, that we shouldn't be singing about God's love for us when we're worshiping. Oh, yes, we should. <laughs> because there's a response that comes from that, of, of being filled up with his love. Do you know that you have nothing to offer him unless he pours it out to you first? That's where that filling is coming from. And so we're, we're realizing the fullness of his love, and out of that, then we, re we return that love or we, we leak that love to other places around us. So Jesus said, I only see, I do what I see the Father doing. I say what I see here, the Father saying. So, you know, we have that little, remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do? Apparently, he would do what the Father's doing because he was an imitator of the Father. So that's, that's what I, I need to say. What would a dearly loved child secure in the love of the Father who's watching and imitating him do? It didn't fit on the bracelet as well as what would Jesus do. But that's really what it meant. What is the nature of the Father? To imitate that word it means a positive imitation that arises by admiring the pattern sent, set by someone worthy of emulation. We admire the pattern of God. There are any number of ways to admire the pattern. We admire the pattern of God in Scripture, of who He is and how He operates. 
We admire the pattern of God and the way he, when we see the fruit of his works in people's lives. When we see someone acting in this God kind of love, we admire that and we say that's the nature of the Father. We have this thing of imitation in children is a thing, isn't it? For better or worse, it is a thing. I want my kids to learn to imitate me and all the sweetness and loveliness of my best possible moments. But one of the first ways my daughter Olivia imitated me was in this noise. (laughs) That's the noise I make when I'm frustrated with something. And I remember two-year-old little Olivia going, and I thought, no, no, wait. Say nice things. So yes, kids are imitators. Aren't we grateful that the one we're imitating is perfect? And that we get to imitate the way that he loves. But we do it from a place of knowing we're fully loved. Of being fully loved by God. You can tell a lot by a parent, again, for better or worse, in the way that their kids operate in the way that they act. You can know the character of of the love that they're experiencing. But we do it from this place. I heard it put like this. We do it from a place that says, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to gain. I have nothing to lose. I am already a dearly loved child of God. So any of this, walking worthy of the calling, I better get my block out or I'll forget. Uh, Walking worthy of the calling, any of that, we do from this place. It's not to prove something. It's not to become approved. It comes from a place of already knowing that I am. It comes from a place from standing secure in the identity of the love of the Father for me. And then I watch, I watch my sibling Jesus as he interacts with the love of the Father, and here's what that produced in him. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I watch how that interaction with the love of God means that my love is, I don't look for what is going to happen for me. It's not self-serving, it's it's self-giving. And if we try to give because we go, oh, I'm supposed to be self-giving. If we try to give that self-giving love when we're not sitting underneath and in alignment and and, encircled by the overflow of God's love, we get empty really fast. My self-giving love is empty pretty fast. Unless I'm staying connected to this, I'm beloved of the Father. Jesus knew how to do that. I think Jesus had a tank meter and his love tank would start to get low and he'd go, gotta go guys. And he'd go find himself in the garden and he'd fill himself up and they'd inevitably follow him. But they watched him interact with the father and and get filled with the love. So we're meant to walk in that. What's interesting about this, and I'm not going to go in depth into it because I want to talk about walking in light, 
But what's interesting about this, it goes right from walk in love as Christ loved and blah, 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 to verse 3, where it starts talking about sexual immorality and fornication and uncleanness and covetousness. What? Now we're talking about love, Paul. And what he's talking about here, really, if you, if you were to boil it down, you see he's saying the kind of Christ-like love is not self-serving. And when you walk in this kind of love, you won't walk in sexual immorality, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Because all of that is, is self-serving. It's for what are, what are my needs? What, am I, what can I get out of this? He's saying love doesn't look like that. And so he's not saying, hey, don't do these things. He's saying, hey, love doesn't do this, but you are children of love. So it's calling us into that place. Love doesn't talk like this in verse four. Filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. It's not fitting for children of love. It doesn't, it means it doesn't fit. It's not saying, it's not a shame statement. Like you shouldn't be talking like that. It's saying that doesn't fit you. You're a child of love. You, you know you're a receiver and a giver of this self-giving, pure love. So that doesn't really fit you. There's a lot more that I could talk about with that. But I love that what he's, what he's saying is, you walk like this, and because of that, you don't walk like this. It's interesting because he's speaking to a people <clears throat> whose actual relationship with their gods, the, the people, the Ephesians, they came out of a place where their only real connection to any kind of spirituality was multiple gods. And those gods actually would call them into sexual depravity. It was part of the, the sacrificial. There was, there was all kinds of things that he was speaking to and saying, this is not how this god interacts. Their main god, Zeus, was kind of like the god of all gods, was completely immoral and completely self-serving. And this was what he was calling them out of, that kind of idolatry where the God demands something rather than is self-sacrificing and giving. We don't serve Zeus in our society, well, most of us, I don't know. I don't know if there's a church of Zeus meeting somewhere, but we don't, we don't but we have idols, we have gods that demand this kind of self-serving and he's saying, this God is not like that. And you're a child of this God, so this is the way that you walk. Okay, he ends that section kind of, the translators ended that section, by saying, don't be partakers with them. Which just means don't be a partner of that nature. He says, you are a partner with God's nature, Love in a way that is giving. Love with this love from God because our God is not trying to get something. He's constantly giving. And he's saying you love in that same way. So that's 
We can walk in love. We can walk in that place of giving. The next piece he talks about is walk in light. And he says in verse eight, for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. So again, we're staying seated in this place of recognizing our sonship, our daughtership as children of light. We're children of love. Now he's saying you're children of light. What's interesting is you might be familiar with uh, the verses that talk about, because I've always said it this way and heard it this way, that he called us out of darkness into light, which he did. But this is actually saying you were darkness and now you're light. And again, what we're seeing in Ephesians is a transition has happened. A complete transfer has happened. Not, well, you can kind of live over here in darkness or you can kind of live over here. You've been called out of darkness into light, but sometimes you dabble over here in darkness. No, he's saying you are no longer darkness at all. Now you are fully, fully light. You were darkness, now you're actually light. That's the reality of how we can live from resurrection. We live as light, not just in the light, because that kind of means we could traffic back and forth. No, you are fully light, and you're called to live in that place. So he says, once you were partners of darkness, now you're not anymore. Uh, Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So for once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. And then verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So he's contrasting the fruit of light and the unfruitfulness of darkness. And he's saying, you were made to bear fruit. (laughs) You were made to bear the fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth. So what's... I love about this is light is a a picture that's all over the scripture. I think sometimes we can get kind of cliche with being the light. We can, you know, we have this little light of mine, which I still think is theologically incorrect. Not really. I mean, kind of. But because it's not little. It's big. And it's not like, won't let Satan it out, this little tiny light. Probably there's days when it feels like that, but it's not. The very light of Christ lives on the inside of us. The darkness is not bigger than it ever. We might hide the light. That's one thing we sometimes do. But, but we are light in the world. And The picture of that, even when we consider that at the very beginning of creation, it says the earth was dark and formless. And it talks about the darkness of the sea. In all Hebraic, in the Hebrew writing, this whole concept of the sea always had to do with chaos and disorder. 
And it was God that spoke and he said, let there be light. And it brought this chaos into an order that God commanded, but it was through light. And so we get to carry that light into the chaos and the disorder around us. Because what do we know in Ephesians 1 through 3? He's reestablished this order. He's reestablished. He's put together all the broken things. And we get to be the ones that, that bring that with the light that we carry. At the beginning of the Gospels, when John opens his Gospel, he says, in the beginning there was the Word, but the darkness rejected him. It's making this connection between Jesus being the light and the light being the very word of God and that the darkness rejected him. And so we see that it's his words. It's and the, other, the other connection we see all throughout Psalms and Proverbs as well, that light is wisdom. Light is God's wisdom, the very wisdom of God. And we see Paul talking about that here again, because now after he talks about you are light. So walk as children of light. Then in verse 15, he says, see then, which is just another way of saying therefore, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. We can understand what the will of God is. And what I find interesting here is he's taking it away from even just considering it as right and wrong. Do you know, most of the difficult decisions that you are going to have to make are not going to be about right and wrong. I want to be really clear. There is right and wrong. (laughs) There is. There is a way that God has chosen. There is right and wrong. But most of the decisions that we are going to have to make have to do with what is wise. What is the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men that creates disorder and chaos and brokenness? What is the wisdom of God that leads to life versus the wisdom of men that leads to death. And so what we need to ask ourselves as we're walking as children of light, this is what that looks like. We live wisely, not foolishly. As parents, my main goal is not to pass down a code of do's and don'ts. Because someone else can convince them, oh no, this one's a do. If I can say, no, these are the, no, this one's a do. No, my goal is to to teach them how to walk in the wisdom of God. To be walking by the spirit and full of the wisdom of God. What is wise in this situation? So they might come to me and go, I want to do this and such. Sometimes it's not really like wrong. Do you know, I think, yeah. Do you know that listening to secular music is not wrong? Some of you are like, yeah, it is. (laughs) But is it wise? Some of it's okay. Some of it, but does this this help me get closer to God? 
Watching Netflix series is not wrong, but is it wise? Does it lead me to the order and restoration and life that God means to bring? Or does it contribute to the disorder and the chaos and the brokenness and the death? I set before you life and death, he said. Choose life. And so we can actually, I've seen it a lot lately, people can be very, very right, but not wise. I mean, really. People can be so, so right, but so terribly unwise in the way that they walk that out. They can, they can have the basic will of God, but I love it. it says, what is the good and perfect will of God? Meaning the timely will. How does God want to address this right now in this moment? It's the wisdom of God that we need to have connection to. That's what it means to walk in light. Children of light live wisely, not foolishly. Children of light understand the will of God. We do not have to question the will of God because we're walking in his light. We have access, oop, I almost forgot, to his wisdom. It's part of what already belongs to us. It does require some conscious, he, he talks about this, he says, um, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's other places where he talks about, we understand the will of the Lord by contemplating with him by processing it with him and, and letting the Holy Spirit speak through us and to us, by directing our curiosity and our, our study at light, not darkness. It's taking a lot of time studying darkness does not help me to know light really, really well. I will know darkness when I know light. I, if, I, if I know the light and I'm focused on that, our kids will know darkness when it comes up against the light that we're walking in. It doesn't do us any good to be students of darkness. But he says, be a student of the light. And that'll help you walk wisely. It'll help you to be an, an uh, imitator of God, an imitator of light. Amen? Amen. So, in conclusion, children of the light are filled with the Spirit. This is how he ends kind of that section. He says, be wise, know the will of God, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Pastor Bob laid that foundation really well. This is how we walk in worthy of the calling. We are filled with the Spirit. We are not filled. To me, being when it says, don't be drunk which is, with wine, which is dissipation. Dissipation is like emptiness. I can fill myself with whatever I want to fill myself with, but it, I'm going to come up empty unless I'm being filled with the Spirit, with the love, with the light of what God provides. So, let's stand
can you just put your hands out? Because I just believe the Lord wants to remind us that we always have access to be filled. So, Holy Spirit, we choose to be filled by you this morning. We choose to be filled with your love, with your light. We thank you that it's available to us. We thank you that it happened. It happened at the cross. It happened at resurrection. It happened at Pentecost. It's complete. We have full access to your spirit. So we just ask this week that we would be filled afresh with all of the fullness of God that we would walk as children of light, that we would know the wisdom of God, that we would become students of your way and we would walk it out. We thank you that we are already loved, we are already fully accepted, and it's from that place that we can walk and live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.